Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager and Manager of the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF and host of today's program. So today, our program, um, we really continue our series that we entitled Talking Textiles, where we've interviewed some of the top management people from mills, schools, textile-related organizations, and others around the world, um, and really just discuss with you and for you, our listeners, the current market for different types of textile products, some about sustainability, trade, um, the use of cotton in today's market, and maybe, you know, just some of the updates or things that are happening in the industry. So I'm also joined today by industry consultant, Bob Anishak. So Bob, how are you this morning? Jennifer, the coffee's great. It's strong today. So <laughs> I'm feeling good. Well, Bob, so. so I have to tell you and our listeners a, a funny <laughs> personal story. So my husband and I, I'm just celebrated four years. I'm a four-year anniversary this past week. And the traditional four-year anniversary is like flowers or plants or something. And I try to every year at least get something that's along that traditional line. And so I was like, well, this will be great. I'll do, um, I got him a coffee of the month club for the year. And part of that so I can enjoy it too, because I love getting presents that I get to participate in. So <laughs> I got, <laughs> there you, this, go. you know, it's great. The first shipment came in and I get the coffee. And I'm all excited because typically in the morning, I'll use a Keurig, just something simple. I have this great coffee I found, just a little Keurig cup. Well, I got this. And I was like, oh man, this is great. It's fresh you know, I can grind the beans and I could use it, the percolator. Well, I guess I got really excited and I filled up the top of the percolator too much. And so I get, oh, I mean, it's like, all right, man, it's already done. It's good to go. And I go to pour and it is this very um, light brown color. And I was like, what have I done wrong? And then he proceeds to let me know, hey, you filled up the thing too much. The water can't get through there. I was like, oh man, okay. I got to start back going how to make it pot of coffee now because I've been using uh, the curry cup so much. So I was like, oh man, I had my heart set on it because it just something about <laughs> fresh ground coffee. <laughs> yeah. You, did, you just used too much. So the water That's what it was like. And I was yeah. like, you know, I guess in my mind I was thinking this but the more I use, the stronger it's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> so well um you know we're excited. It's my pleasure today to introduce um, a guest on today's show, Mauro Scalia. So Mauro is the well-known and respected director of sustainable businesses at Eurotex. Um, so Mauro, thank you so much for being on the show this morning with us. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me today. Yes. And Mauro, we know that you've had a very accomplished career in the textile and apparel industry. Um, looking at sustainability and just other things. Um, and you're definitely an expert in Europe's textile and apparel industries. And before we kind of get into um, some of the, the markets and things that are happening, um, would love to just see if you would be, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background so that uh, maybe those who aren't as familiar with you could, um, you know, learn a little bit more. Sure, sure. Thanks again. Uh, my pleasure. So um, I'm Italian, uh, but I live in, in Belgium, in Brussels, for more than 15 years, um, uh, where I, let's say, engage in the policy-making debate, which is relevant for our industry sectors. Brussels is, of course, the, uh, the capital, the political capital of the European Union. Um, before that, I graduated in Catania, in Italy, in political science. Uh, then I, I worked quite a few years um, in SME consulting. 
Uh, so we, we used to help companies to, to innovate, uh, to export, to become more international. And then I, I moved in Brussels, where I uh, worked for a few months in the uh, European Commission, the DG Research. It's kind of like a ministry to support mm, research okay. and developments. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, there we work a lot for the SME. And um, then I moved to Eurotex, which has been now for more than 15 years. Um, first part of my professional life in Eurotex, I was still in the R&D development area. And then uh, over the last five years, I moved to the sustainability area. And that's basically where my private life stopped um, because we, uh, we dive essentially in all the matters related to sustainability. Um, from chemicals to circular economy, due diligence, traceability. Uh, we can continue for a while only mentioning those. And so perhaps also a word near that, we are the official voice of the industry. We represent the full um, value chain from the fiber makers to the product makers for any kind of textile application, whether it's garment, home textiles, or technical textiles. And we represent the uh, European industry. So. Uh, the manufacturing industry, which is part of the global value chain. And that's basically me over the last uh, 15, 17 years by now. Yeah, so Mara, you said you moved into um, working in sustainability for the past five years. I feel like that's, um, you know, really, we've heard that word, sustainability, mm -hmm. um, a lot, probably in the last year and a half. So five years ago, it's, I, I feel like that might have been a kind of a new emerging concept or discussion. Um, and so have you seen some of the things change in conversations and policies and things change over the last, I guess, amplified in the last year and a half versus what it started out five years ago? I mean, dramatically, uh, <laughs> five years ago. No, I imagine, I imagine, I imagine yeah. Five years ago, I can tell you one of my first tasks was a, um, a, a chemical restriction. So a reach, uh, which is the European legislation for chemicals. And uh, there was one piece of legislation which kept us busy for like months. Um, currently, we have 11 pieces of legislation happening, wow. uh, but, but we don't have 11 more colleagues. So uh, the work, let's say, has increased more than the uh, uh, sort of the staff, so to say. <laughs> but we also expand. We have definitely increased. Uh, we have higher people, textile engineers, but also political scientists, uh, lawyers, all kinds of professionals. Um, but I mean, overall, the topic has gone up to the board level in many large companies. So it's really entering the discussion of the company's life in a different, from a different angle. Mm -hmm. um, and we see more and more small and medium size enterprises engage in this discussion. And of course, at political level, we have a whole EU, EU Green Deal that uh, we're working in. So it has changed dramatically, I would say. So you've been really busy, needless to say, right? Like I said at the beginning, that's when my private life stopped. I think that's the question, maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure it does. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, you weren't kidding. You weren't kidding. Um, Mauro, uh, gosh, I don't think you and I have actually seen each other since before the uh, pandemic, I guess. Um, some years back. Um, and and uh, I just, again, I've been, I've been, uh, enjoyed, uh, following all your activities at Eurotex. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about Eurotex in terms of its a uh, little more. Uh, as I remember, Eurotex also represents different country associations in, in yeah. addition to major companies. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. We have uh, now actually 40 
logos in our presentation. So uh, most of our members are the national uh, sector associations. So you might have the uh, textile industry from a country, uh, the apparel industry uh, from another country all over uh, Europe. Um, and that's not just the EU, but we also have uh, Turkey, Switzerland, Norway, in addition, of course, to the EU 27 member states. So mm -hmm. most of our members are uh, from the association. We also have the specific association, like the Cotton Association, the Membrane Fiber Industry Association. And since, I guess, last year, late last year, we opened the door to partnership with companies. Um, currently, we have quite a few uh, machine manufacturers which have joined. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's great because uh, it's very much aligned with the whole kind of discussion on sustainability. I mean, we see more and more how uh, the topic goes beyond single part of the value chain and encompass and interest many other players, even outside the traditional part of the value chain. So that's, for instance, why it's great also for us to work together with uh, our colleagues for the machine manufacturing side or in some specific project, we work also from, with the chemical industry, of course, with the fashion retailers and brands. Um, because also thanks to the sustainability uh, pressure, opportunity, uh, challenges, we see actually more and more the interest to work with, with different players uh, for, for, for mutual, mutually interesting goals, basically. So that's, uh, that's a very good thing. Well, I ask about Eurotex because uh, with that kind of a structure and that many companies and organizations and national organizations involved, the trade, obviously, the industry globally, doesn't matter where you are, is going through a lot of change right now. Hmm. So I was really curious in terms of what's your take, what's your opinion on what are the great challenges that are facing the industry over the next few years, in your opinion? Well, I, um, I can look at that mostly from the sustainability angle, of course, because it's, it's course. my domain. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we see is that um, we, we, we have a new set of priorities in terms of policymaking. So climate change, um, uh, climate Im impact of climate change is definitely making sustainability as a priority. Um, across all business sectors, and textile makes no exception to that. Of course, um, as it is a resource-intense um, manufacturing industry. So one of the input comes from the from climate change, that, that's for sure, and how that brings up um, this topic in the policy-making agenda. Of course, in Europe, we have the EU Green Deal. So if you think about it, it's like a government um, defining a transformation towards more sustainable uh, manufacturing consumption patterns uh, and this is part of the government program and this is quite I would say unique um, across across the world he has good and bad aspects of that but it is it is a fact um, and that's one thing other challenges come from from the consumer side uh, again challenges and opportunities at the same time uh, many consumers cares more about sustainability than they used to care before uh, but not all of them are ready to sort of uh, pay the price for that or they consider sustainability aspect when they make choices for textile products. And that's, again, also a challenge from the business because on the one side, you need to invest, you need to engage, you need to, to be active in partnerships, uh, but then also you have costs that you have to deal with. 
therefore the demand for more sustainable textiles, whether it comes from consumers, people like you and me, or um, from, from public authorities through procurement, it's also important. And then I guess uh, two other challenges deal with the, with the fact that the business is changing. Um, we see a great interest in our membership, but many don't know how to, to change the way they produce or they um, design certain products. And particularly small and medium-sized enterprises uh, are sometimes squeezed between pressure and, and, and demand and increasing demand. So it is a transformation phase and as every transformation phase, uh, it, is, it is not easy to handle. And I guess the last point, which also the last challenge, which I, I referred to already earlier, is that many of these changes requires cooperation beyond the traditional relationship supplier um, and buyers across a normal value chain. Um, you need to engage more with the chemical suppliers. You need to have a better dialogue with the designers, those who, who ask you to make certain products in a certain way. Maybe you need to work with completely different players you never work with. And that's also a difficulty, if you like, uh, because you, you need to be flexible. You need to be in the position of cooperating with different types of business partners in addition to all the pressure that you normally have. I guess that answers your question, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. No, it's very thorough. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, so, Mara, you, you mentioned about the supply chain and um, kind of the, all the different players in the industry. Do you find that um, supply chain maybe is changing a little bit more to extend further back now? Um, so in the area that you're really in, when you're looking at textile apparel, um, you know, to extend past just the textile mill, the machinery, but going further back to say, okay, well, that's great. But materials, where did it come? You know, not just a chemical company, but maybe from the producer, the cotton space and some of that, do you find that supply chain and conversations changing to expand even further? I think it really depends where, which company you're talking to, where mm -hmm. the company is in the value chain. Okay. Um, so this conversation is taking place, but let's say along the supply chain, different players face different challenges. I mean, if you're a finisher, for instance, you might engage more on water treatments um, or chemical products. So that's perhaps a part where you need to engage more. If you are a, a fiber maker or a finished product maker, then you definitely have to go beyond certain specific steps of the production chain. Mm -hmm. So you, some of them wish to reach out um, to other aspects of the value, other parts of the value chain, as you mentioned, uh, which, for instance, pose um, pressure and interest on, on that exchange. This is a very important point, I think, nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, we look at the a tremendous increase in the need of sharing information um, because you need to provide not only a product, but you need to inform um, what is this product made of. Does it contain recycled contents? Does it contain certain type of chemicals? What are the working condition of the people who did part of that product before you receive it in your, in your plant? Um, what information that the consumer might wish to have? Uh, we even talk about a so-called digital product passport that policymakers might wish to introduce to facilitate sort of a kind of, with a kind of ID about a product. But you can imagine that if you are in the value chain and you have six different major buyers, um, they might ask you different type of information. Yes. Or they might, 
or they might ask this information in different format. It, it means you, you need to have like a green deal pass, sorry, a, um, a green pass for COVID, which is different from county to county, from state to state. You just get a completely overload. Yes. Um, so the exchange of data across the value chain um, and the, it's a bad word, but it sounds like interoperability. So the capacity to have common data or have different players reading same format of data is very crucial to to engage this this conversation across the value chain. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a great point. The translation, understanding, interpretation, because that's one of the things um, you know I've spent my entire career um, in the ag space of a value chain. So working with farmers, um, whether it's around cotton and their production of practices, um, you know, and, and that's what I've moved into kind of the downstream space in textiles. I guess about two years ago now, it was a huge learning curve. I mean, an uphill and I'm still learning more and more every day. And one of the biggest things that I did learn and understand is that everyone talks about, I use cotton because E3, we, we work with cotton, but everyone who's in that value chain talks about and describes it in a different language or format or way. So when cotton, you know, if you talk to a farmer about it, they talk about cotton in one way. When you talk to a, um, a textile mill, they're looking at cotton a different way. Um, and so I think that's been one of the biggest things and learnings has been, okay, how do we level set some of that interpretation, the data to help fit all those, like you were saying, everybody in the value chain and what they need. Um, and that's definitely been a learning, big learning curve. Um, but, you know, along that, Mara, you mentioned um, all the change. So we talked a lot about everything that's happening. You talked about, um, you know, you've been working in sustainability for um, five years. And I would love to know, you know, when you, and this is a, a question that's really, it's always interesting for me. How do you define sustainability and how do you see that companies in Europe incorporating sustainability initiatives into their business practices? Um, I know there recently was the big um see like the COP26 meeting in Glasgow and, you know, didn't know if you felt that as far as that type of meeting or in the industry, how that's affecting the work you're doing. Right, right, right. Yes, I mean, as you said, everything starts from definitions. Uh, I mean, if you want to communicate this definition, so what is the definition of sustainability? I mean, for us, we did not come up with any new definition. For us in Eurotax, uh, sustainability, it's simply caring for people, the environment or the planet, if you like, and the profit at the same time. So um, you can decline this in many different sub-definitions. So sustainability is how we care for future generation in our business, how we decouple perhaps growth um, from resource consumption. Mm. But overall, the old three, three P, PPP aspects of the uh, sustainability definition are still valid. Uh, we really see no need to invent new definitions, new slogans there. Um, and it's about all these three aspects, they need to coexist at the same time in, in, in anything we do, essentially. How um, companies engage into that, again, it, it really depends by where companies are in the value chain. At this one point, is what drives a company growth strategy? What is the element to drive up a company? Uh, now, this second part has definitely increased over the last years. That's uh, as we mentioned before. Um, we see many front runners in in all sorts of the in all parts of the value chain, from the from the fiber industry uh, to the spinning part. 
um, recycled yarns has tremendously increased, for instance, in interest and investment related to that. Um, attention to water, emission to, to water and chemicals increase in the manufacturing and finishing part. Um, the designer, the finished product makers, they look at different aspects now. So um, a lot of happened, but we also saw even more complex case. I mean, we have seen finishing companies which tremendously engage on uh, food waste on top of many other things. So really looking at different aspects of sustainability, not just the one we concern a single production step. Um, so this is really much, uh, very much happening nowadays. And um, you also mentioned Glasgow, the, uh, uh, the COP26, uh, which took place recently. Well, we follow that um, from, from here, from distance. We have seen uh, many small, medium steps, so to say, in the right direction. Um, we have definitely seen the, uh, the Paris Agreement original goals being capped. But um, we actually have not seen a sort of a high level of ambitious or uh, an ambitious level comparable to what we see at the EU policy making level, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, we deal with the Green Deal already for, for many years. That creates EU, European Union level, and national legislation on, on, on the transition towards a, a decarbonized industry, on, on circular economy, on a new chemical strategy for sustainability, um, on mandatory or voluntary labeling actions to inform consumers about the sustainability content in products. We don't see this part of discussion in a place like COP26. Okay. Um, COP26 is more high level, and of course, it's, it's way more complex, possibly. Uh, we've seen progress on, on coal, on, on for deforestation, for instance. Um, but I guess we still need to see how, across world regions, these higher level goals are translated into specific actions, which at the end of the day, is what impacts a small and medium-sized company, whether it's a, a spinning mill or whether it's a, a fashion brand. Yeah. Mara, a question um, from the sustainability aspect of um, online shopping. Um, yeah. you know, the pandemic has really magnified online shopping from where it was. Uh, do you see online shopping as being a sustainable activity over the long haul, or is it actually making things worse because of all the shipping involved and so on. Well, uh, what we know is that shipping has dramatically increased the, um, the online, uh, the e-commerce has dramatically increased the quantity of products which now go throughout the world um, or throughout Europe uh, in, in, if you like, in smaller quantities in different commercial patterns that it used to be. Um, we don't really, we don't really uh, look at the specific uh, type of products, so it's it's hard to see what kind of products are now more or less in demand uh, at very specific level. But that's not maybe the real deal. The, the, what it's interesting for us to see is that um, the capacity of authorities to also check uh, the conformance of these products uh, is becoming more and more difficult. Um, market surveillance from our standpoint is a very important issue because we have so much legislation, for instance, on chemicals for many other things. Um, and think about it, in, uh, in pre-COVID times, we have about 23 billions of garments 
which circulate across the EU. When a lot of these numbers goes through e-commerce rather than traditional sales channels, it becomes very difficult to, to check compliance of those products. So this is one aspect that we, we look at. Yeah, so, um, you know, Mauro, as we kind of look at things beyond the pandemic and, um, you know, some of the shipping and costs and all, I know the textile and apparel industry um, in many parts of the world are under pressure, whether it's with labor problems, um, strained relationships between brands and suppliers, um, you know, government relationships, um, tent standoffs or different countries over trade and raw materials. Uh, knowing and kind of having that as the backdrop, um, how do you see the industry evolving um, over time? And do you, I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, but do you see other sustainability or things falling under the umbrella of sustainability um, having a longer interim impact or being long as, you know, as much as an important um, impact as they have been? Right, right. Um, I think... Um, again, there are different aspects of sustainability which are tackled across the global value chains. Um, Europe, just like many other world regions, are part of the global value chain, so we depend of semi-finished product we import. And um, when it comes to sustainability trend across uh, across world regions, one of the definitely important elements it's it's the availability of um, basic components, for instance, chemicals. Uh, to produce certain high quality and technical um, technical textiles, um, we look at uh, on broader broader on a broader level than that. We look at the um, the interest on due diligence across the global value chain. So companies are going to be more and more requested to uh, look at how they uh, assess, anticipate, and potentially mitigate um, negative impact of their production across the value chain, even if they have suppliers in different world regions. Um, we have seen uh, a lot of work on that at policymaking level uh, with the OECD in Paris over the past years, and now this is escalating at um, uh, EU legislation. We do expect legislation on due diligence. That implies the company needs to know what happens and how happens on their suppliers across the global value chain. So you have to basically um, get more and more information. You have to have a different type of discussion in some instance with your suppliers, no matter where they come. You also need to rely on the cooperation of local governments to, to, do, to carry out this process. And that's one example that we see in due diligence, um, but it's also possible that it will evolve in other aspects. For instance, we have um, legislation very tight on chemicals in Europe, but we don't see the same kind of um, global cooperation for chemical legislation across the globe. And then I think um, we need to to see uh, actions from, from different governments across the globe. And that is something that we expect to have an impact on, on the way the global value chain works. Do you see um, traceability? playing more into sustainability and being part of that definition of it. So as you mentioned, knowing exactly the more, you know, finding out more, doing more due diligence, so that traceability of things being um, more a part of sustainability. Uh, traceability, I think it's one of those um, jolly that you play in, in every sustainability topics, whether you uh -huh. talk about the chemicals you use or the working condition or the workers employed 
or if you talk about the actual materials. So for sure, we see okay. an increase of interest on traceability. We have seen a great uh, initiative from actually the uh, United Nations, um, UNECE in, um, in Geneva, uh, which launched uh, already a couple of years ago uh, an initiative to have a global standard for transparency and traceability along the global value chain. And that's interesting because the goal there is to develop a, a common way of exchanging information. Um, again, the, the devil always stays in the lazy details because how these global standards are used at the level of a single company across the value chain, that's where the difficult part starts. Um, how actually traceability becomes something tangible for a, a company uh, which have to exchange information, that it's where we still need to see developments if you see what i mean how the uh, yeah. the it industry respond to that um how also the even the training system respond to that how do we provide uh qualified workers uh to deal with different type of aspects uh to small and medium-sized enterprises which have few people and often few people have to deal with a number of tasks so you might have somebody in charge of due diligence at the same time to be a, an expert of traceability and we also need skills for that. We need the, the vocational system to prepare uh, people um, to be such type of asset uh, for a company. So it's, um, yeah. I think it goes and, in that direction too. Yeah. And then I think along that, you know, we hear the term greenwashing a lot. And I know um, part of our program for E3 is, you know, we collect a tremendous amount of data. We can track every bale of cotton back to the individual fields, sustainability metrics around it. So it's always really interesting to see. Um, from some other types of materials and other things in the space, a lot of claims that are made that, mm, yep, there's probably not data. Because one thing we found is not, there's not a lot of data behind to support some of these claims. So do you see, you know, greenwashing or, or some of that um, proof of um, being required a lot more going forward or being part of the policy or part of those conversations that you're having? Absolutely. We actually expect proposal um, around February next year. Um, uh, with to fulfill two goals. One is to help consumer choosing more sustainable products, and the other one is protecting consumer from greenwashing. Mm. Uh, what is missing? It's a a common definition of what is a sustainability. Um, sorry, what is a sustainability in a textile product? This is something we don't have, at least at the legal level nowadays. So um, companies will be required to justify and explain, motivate uh, or substantiate, if you like, a sustainability claim precisely okay. to, protect, yeah. to protect responsible businesses um, from the unfair um, competition, mm -hmm. but also to make sure that what the consumers are told it's, uh, it's correct and it's substantiated. It has a valid uh, basis for that. Um, and this, of course, brings to the point, how do you define what is a sustainable product? Um, yeah. Now, we have LCA for that, life cycle assessment techniques. Um, in Europe, there is one which is called PEF, uh, Product Environmental Footprint, which is uh, been further developed, actually, from not just in Europe, from, from global brands uh, and global players which are active into that. Uh, the challenge there is to make it workable for any kind of companies, um, do we have the data for that? Uh, because in a fast, uh, 
the fast moving industry like ours, you need to generate, you need to process data for a number of products. And that's, that's definitely a technical challenge. And also to find a way to, to give consumers very few, very specific and clear, uh, uh, symbols, if you like, or a way to inform them about that degree of sustainability. So this is going to happen, we believe, is going to develop a lot early next year. Well, uh, Jennifer, what do you think, time-wise? Time for uh, another I think, question? Yeah, Bob, I think I'd, like to ask, yeah, I'd like to ask one more question. Um, so, Bob, I think you had one more around um, trade relations. Yeah, so uh, talk a little bit, Mauro, about... Uh, I know you don't uh, specifically work in trade, but uh, Eurotex does. Um, yeah. what, and the one thing that uh, I think we've all noticed is that um, the, uh, the sort of a, a common purpose for trade that was in place maybe a decade ago seems to have become fractured over the last few years. Um, a lot of number of reasons uh, why. Um, but having said that, when there's lack of cooperation on things like trade, how does that affect like cooperation when it comes to things like defining sustainability right. and, and initiatives? So I ask it from that angle. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, also here we see policy and legislation changing um, a lot. Um, there is a lot of work in progress happening at this point in time, but what we see is that the government pressure will increase towards a new trade policy framework, which do not only deliver sort of free trade, but also fair trade. This is where the two comes together. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a willingness to avoid unfair competition um, and also to recognize the, the efforts made by the most engaged industry. So we definitely see that as a, as a move which is happening at the EU policymaking level. Uh, as a proof, you can see, for instance, uh, also new recent proposal for uh, GSP, um, that it was adopted by the European Commission in September, which actually integrate the respect of the ILO Convention in the list of the condition to have access to the scheme, to the preferential trade scheme. Right. So this actually, it's a very concrete move that was already maybe mm -hmm. discussed five, six years, four or five years ago, uh, and recently it happened. So that's actually a concrete step in that direction. And right. we believe this is going to continue in the same direction. Awesome. Well, Mario, um, I appreciate your um, you coming on the show. I probably could ask you a ton more questions, but I think we are about out of time. Um, but I really um, I do appreciate you taking the time um, to come on and joining us today and answering a lot of our questions. And um, if any of our listeners um, should have any questions of the work that you guys are doing or would like to reach out, what is the best way for them to reach out if they have any questions? Well, I mean, we are definitely available. Um... For, uh, for this kind of interaction, we, are, we can just be found online as uh, any other business lobby organization based in Brussels. So our contacts are all uh, online. And of course, in case a company is a member of a national association, which is our members, they have a very direct and straightforward channel uh, to talk to us about any of the topic uh, that we just discussed in a little bit more than half an hour, I guess. Uh, a yeah. lot of information squeezed in half an hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, but it was yeah, good. <laughs> a lot of ground, covered a lot of ground. It's very yes. good. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, but it was good. But um, well, again, Mara, thank you so much for being on. And I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and hope that you enjoyed um, our very informative show. Should you have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, 
please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. Also, please visit us on Instagram and Facebook at e3sustainablecotton. Thanks so much and see you next time. Thank you.